Join me as we pray together. Our Father, as we come now to this part of your service where you speak to us from your word, we thank you for the way our hearts have been prepared. And now we pray, Father, that you will be faithful to your word. Make it a living and an active word. Let it land in good soil that you have prepared that it might bear much fruit in Jesus' name. We specifically take authority over all of the forces of darkness that might be sent and assigned to this place to interfere with the proclamation and the understanding of your word. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. We declare that you are the Lord of the church. You are the head of the church. You are the Lord of your body. And where you are present, no forces of darkness have any authority or any power to interfere in Jesus' name. Amen. Usually on this first Sunday after solemn assembly is over, I, I preach on some aspects of our church's mission statement. You know, We exist to make disciples of many peoples who will follow Jesus Christ in authentic worship. And along with that is a call to some kind of action so that we can translate that dimension of our mission statement into practice in this coming year. And so for several weeks as I've been thinking about this message, my thoughts have been directed to Psalm 122. Uh, it is Psalm 122, the picture of, of, a, of a man who is joyfully anticipating corporate worship in Jerusalem. He's a man who obviously loves Jerusalem, he loves his people, and he loves this, uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And so he is, in Psalm 122, there's this beautiful picture of what uh, he is anticipating uh, will await him in Jerusalem. And I thought, oh, this is a wonderful psalm with which to set forth for us another dimension of authentic worship in our congregation. I'm still going to do that, but something happened near the end of last year that has changed the way in which I'm going to preach this message. I reminded you last week and led us in an expression of thanksgiving for the incredible faithfulness of God through you to our church as far as our practical needs were concerned. All of our financial needs, our budget was met. Over and above that, you gave $600,000 to imagine. And you did all of that in a year when the world was in economic chaos. You know, what Jesus said suddenly occurred to me. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You have given your treasure to this church. So according to Jesus, this is where your heart is going to go in the coming year. So this sermon is still coming to you as a sermon on authentic worship. But it is not coming to you today as an exhortation of something that you have to do. It is coming as a declaration of what God is going to do. Because your treasure has gone here, your heart is going to go there. He is going to deepen your love for Rexdale Alliance Church. He's going to deepen your love for the worldwide church of God. And he's going to deepen your love for Jesus. And all of that will express itself in authentic worship. So, listen from that perspective. Because you know what? The future vision has far more power over our lives sometimes than our pastors. Mark Buchanan, a pastor in Vancouver, in his book, The Rest of God, drawing upon a very uh, unique counseling experience he had where he was talking to a woman who had a terrible history and he was so completely nonplussed and helpless he just cried out to God silently and what God gave him was an insight that changed his whole approach to counseling and this is what he wrote he says destiny every bit as much as history determines identity apart from a compelling vision of things unseen our lives shrink to things as they are or things as they were Therefore, helping people anticipate their future has become my favorite counseling technique. And I would say my preaching technique for this morning. 
So as you listen to me unpack Psalm 122, I want you to listen to it not as something that you're going to have to do this year, but something that God is going to do in your lives so that you can be attentive to respond appropriately. He's going to do this because as I said, your treasure has gone here, therefore according to Jesus, your heart is going to go here. And you say, but I already love Jesus. I already love the church of Jesus Christ. You know what? You need this too. Just like marriage mentoring classes and marriage enrichment classes aren't just for people with problem marriages. They're for all marriages, the good ones too, to make them even better. So in the same way, Psalm 122 is going to function in exactly the same way in your life. No matter where you are on this pilgrim, he's going to take you deeper and more joyful this year. So let's begin. Three times a year. Psalm 122 is one of the 15 Psalms of Ascent. Three times a year, all Israel was commanded to go up to Jerusalem to worship God. And they would, they, would, they would celebrate three feasts that were all tied to three critical, each one of them was tied to a critical event in their history that reinforced a particular dimension of their identity. The first one was the Feast of Passover in which they celebrated their deliverance under Moses from slavery in Egypt. And it underlined their identity as a redeemed people. Then came the Feast of Pentecost which celebrated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and underline their identity as a commanded people. And then came the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, which relived Israel's journey in the wilderness, where God miraculously provided food for them, kept their clothes from wearing out, and protected them from the enemies. And therefore it became an em- emphasizer of their identity as a blessed people. These three things taken together form their fundamental identity, a redeemed people, a commanded people, and a blessed people that transcended all of the mundane, difficult, up and down lives that they lived back wherever they were before they made these journeys. Three times a year their eyes were lifted up so they would soar like those eagles, get perspective because they were fundamentally a redeemed, blessed, and commanded people, and then they would go back to their lives and to their work work day world to live out daily living with this identity shaping them. But it was a difficult and a dangerous journey. It was difficult because of geographical terrain and obstacles. It was dangerous because of bandits and robbers along the way. And therefore they needed faith. They needed faith to begin the journey. They needed faith to continue the journey. And these Psalms of Ascent produced that faith by painting pictures of what awaited them when they would get there. They became, as one man called, traveling songs to keep them, get them going and to keep them going. Today, we the people of God are not tied to any one particular ethnic group. Nor is our worship centralized in a place called Jerusalem in a particular temple. But in a very real sense, we the church represent the full, fullness of fulfillment of that, what, that which was hinted at at these three key feasts. For example, we are a redeemed people. We have been delivered, not by the blood of lambs and goats, but by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb. And we have been delivered from the wrath of God against our sin because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And by the way, what solemn assembly does for us because of his protracted emphasis on repentance, by showing us the depth and the breadth of our sinfulness, it makes us that much more thankful to God for the immense grace that was poured out upon us to forgive those sins and to win us access into the presence of this holy God that we've been singing of. We are a redeemed people. We're also a commanded people. Because Jesus has come, he did not set the law aside. In fact, he said in Matthew, I have come to fulfill the law. 
And in Matthew chapter 28, when he gave the great commission, he said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we are a commanded people. And then, we are a blessed people. We don't travel through the wilderness these days and whatnot, but uh, we are blessed, but in one very different way. In Israel, in the Old Testament, so long as they were obedient to God, their blessings were all physical and guaranteed. Freedom from sickness, abundant provision, abundant harvest, and protection from enemies. They only got into trouble in one of those three ways if they disobeyed God. But because of the cross, because of Jesus, the fulfillment comes in a different way. Because none of those things are guaranteed when we are obedient. In fact, the entire persecuted church around the world stands as a witness to us that when we are obedient, we can neither count upon protection, we cannot count upon provision. Uh, Blessedness is not defined anymore by those terms. In fact, they get into trouble because they are obedient. What then is our blessing? It's even greater. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, For we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. 51 times in Ephesians, he says, We are in Christ. And then in Colossians, he twisted the around, he says, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Our immersion in Jesus and Jesus living within us and the spiritual blessings that come with that far transcend the physical uh, blessings. In fact, it is what enables and sustains the persecuted church and us when we do not get the old kind of blessing. But we are a redeemed people, we are a commanded people, and we are a blessed people. And we too are commanded to go up to worship, not three times a year, but once a week. On the Lord's Day. Because the Lord's Day celebrates the resurrection. And it is in the resurrection that we are guaranteed all these benefits in Jesus Christ. We know we are forgiven because Jesus rose from the dead. We know it is the resurrected Christ that enables us to obey the commandments of God. And we know that it is the union with Christ in His power that enables us to remain as a blessed people even in the time of difficulties and trials. And we do not have a centralized place. No Mecca. But in hundreds of thousands of churches, from humble little mud huts with corrugated tin roofs, to gigantic cathedrals, to this building in between somewhere, we gather together for worship. But for the same purpose, for the identity recovering and the identity shaping purpose of worshipping God. Recovering our identities as a blessed commanded and redeemed people that will enable us to get that perspective to soar like eagles every week to go back to those mundane difficult up and down existences that characterize most of living in which we are called to be faithful Psalm 122 is a traveling song for us not because the journey here is dangerous though I suppose driving on the 401 is about as dangerous as bandits we're more likely to get hurt in a traffic accident than be robbed, frankly. But in the winter time, it's difficult to get here for many people. You park across the street in the winter, you're going to face those bitterly cold winds for five minutes. And then, because of the invention of artificial light, our nights are no longer automatically rested for the beginning of the day. Entertainment, television, internet, A night out in the town, even a legitimate entertainment, so often ends us getting so tired late on Saturday night that we have a massive problem getting to church mentally, if not physically. So we need a traveling song just as much as they did to get us going and to keep us going. 
But as I said to you again, because I don't want you to lose sight of that, Psalm 122 is a vision today, not of what you should do, but of what God is going to do in you and for you. Because your treasure went here, your heart is going to go here by the grace of God. The journey begins. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is a picture of contagious mutual encouragement. Some individual who is so excited at what lies ahead of him or her in corporate worship cannot keep from telling somebody else, come on, let's go. And the person who is encouraged says, yes, I'm glad you told me that, as opposed to resenting it. That's why it's a picture of mutual edification, encouragement to the journey. One person's joy spills over to the other. I was reminded of uh, something very uh, common that illustrated this. When I first came to Toronto in 1967, it was, six, no, 69. Somebody told me about a hamburger joint that used to be on the north side of Shepherd between Leslie and Bayview called PNS Burger. It wasn't a chain. And when you, it was owned by two Greek brothers. And when you went in there, there weren't teenagers on making minimum wages that were flipping prepackaged burgers. These two brothers were owners. They cooked. They made up the hamburgers. They served them to us. There was always a huge long lineup. And from the first time I ate it, I had to tell everybody I knew. And I didn't just say, go there. I said, let us go there. Because <laughs> I'll come with you again. <laughs> and one time they came, they got hooked, and they started telling everybody else. That's the kind of picture that he's talking about here. Those, guys, those two Greek brothers didn't say, you now have to preach. You have to go pay. I'm not going to pay you to go tell this story. He didn't encourage me or exhort me. I just couldn't help doing it. Because I was so excited at what awaited me every time I was going to show up in Shepherd Avenue. Too bad they didn't start a chain. <laughs> this is what God is going to do for us this year so many of you are going to be so touched by joyful experiences in this congregation in corporate worship that you're not going to keep yourself from being able to say to somebody else come on let's go not only that they are going to receive it gladly and we're going to have far more people worshipping here than before not because we have any numerical goals to keep I don't, we don't have any numerical goals in this church but because God, in His glory, has captivated your hearts with joy, there are going to be more and more worshippers because you are going to be filled with joy and you are going to encourage other people and they are going to receive that invitation and they are going to come. This is what God is going to do in your life. And then in verses 2 and 4, we read, Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statutes given to Israel. Now he is anticipating his actual arrival in Jerusalem. And as he comes to Jerusalem, he, his mind is flooded with the history of that place. It, was, it, was the, it belonged to the Jebusites until King David. It was an unconquerable city until King David conquered it. And there he established his palace. And there he built the temple. The temple with the Ark of the Covenant, that cultic object that represented in concrete form the intense presence of the glory of God in the Holy of Holies. And even in describing the city as closely compacted together, something very significant is contained in those words. The Hebrew scholars tell me that the words that are used to that phrase, closely compacted together, are very similar in structure to the words used to describe the way the tabernacle was put together. You see, the way the city was put together was itself a metaphor of worship. One of the things worship does is integrate our lives. It lifts them up above those individual little identities of fishermen and back in Galilee and Judea and wherever they were coming from, or agriculturalists or farmers or husbands and wives and tax collectors and 
prisoners of Rome and whatnot. But worship took all those disparate little details and integrated them. So the city itself became a metaphor of what worship was going to do for them. And so the sight of the city filled them with joy. But this naturally led to the next thing that he imagined. Not only was he arriving in Jerusalem, there were his countrymen coming. There the tribes of Israel go. They were coming from the north, from the south, from the east and from the west because Jerusalem was approximately the geographical center. And then they all climbed Mount Zion, which was the highest point in that region uh, where the temple was situated. And this, this physical picture of people streaming from all over the country into the presence filled him with great joy because he was going to be connected with something bigger than himself, bigger than his family, bigger even than his own tribe, but with the entire nation of Israel. And that filled him with joy. Not, not because of the kind of ethnocentric pride that we people have today, which is the kind of stuff that is driving all these wars that are killing innocent people all over the world. No, no, no. He is celebrating the fact that we are a unique people because the God that we worship is unique. Because Jehovah is not like some other God. The gods of the nations are idols, but the sovereign Lord made the heavens and the earth. Because He is unique, we become a unique people. We are elected unto holiness and transformation through worship to become a holy people that will be a testimony to the glory of God. That's what filled him with joy. So these were the two big things that he imagined. While that mutual encouragement got them going, it is this picture of Jerusalem as a closely compacted city. It's history and this picture of the tribes streaming from all over there which gave him this identity that I am being connected to something much, much bigger than just me, my family, and my ethnic group. What about us? As I said, we today physical cities are no longer connected with worship. You drove in from Brampton and North York and Mississauga and Oakville and Port Credit and maybe Ford, which you walked across. And then you drove into this parking lot and this is a building with bricks and stones and we all know that the church is not made up of the buildings and the bricks but the people. But before we get there, and I will get there, I don't want to rush too quickly past the building. If other people have been guilty of making too much of buildings, I think sometimes in the evangelical church we've been guilty of making too little of buildings. Buildings that have been repeatedly the place where people have met God begin to take on a fragrance of holiness around them. Just as the opposite is also true. I think you've heard me tell this story in the context of baby dedication talks sometimes, but remember Kevin Olford was one of our elders, and Kevin and his family, when his kids were really young, used to live up in Aurora. And so they had about half an hour drive down here, and I think when Caitlin was two or two, three years old, he talked about how once, when, not once, very often, he said, as soon as we would pull off from Islington Avenue into the, into the park driveway here, Caitlin would throw up both her hands and say, Yay, church! That's something like what this man was feeling. And last Wednesday, if you were here after our prayer walk, Scott Cunningham came up and shared. He had, he had been praying with two of his kids. And one of them said, go daddy, go share. And what she had said to him as they were coming up after the prayer time was, daddy, I feel so safe in this building. It reminded me when our children, when we'd come back from vacation, one time we came back, about late afternoon and both Sheila and Vijay just jumped out of the car not eager to help us carry stuff into the house they came straight to the church the first thing they wanted to go to was not the house but the church the building it meant so much to them I remember when Vijay and Jen were getting married 
they were looking at various places and you know they were at one point they were considering one of these magnificent cathedral type of churches downtown because of its glorious God honoring architecture but they said no when Jen remarked him one day but this altar is the place where we have made some of our most significant decisions and this became a holy place for them so let's not be too quick to dismiss buildings. And this is another thing I believe God is going to do for you. There are going to be so many holy encounters that you will have in this building that when you pull into this church, the sight of the building is going to make you say, Yay, church. I am glad to be standing at your threshold, Rexdale Alliance Church. Now, of course, the church is more than bricks and mortar. In fact, just like he thought Jerusalem was a closely compacted city built with stones or whatever they used in those days. Ephesians says the church is like that. We are all living stones. We are joined together, fitly joined together, says Ephesians chapter 2. Each one of us is a living stone, a receptacle for the Holy Spirit. And we are joined together to a holy building in which the Spirit of God will live. And so... Just like he was excited, not just about the building, but he was excited about the tribes that were coming there. So I think that's another dimension of what God is going to do in our lives today. As you come, as you drive, as you walk, you are going to be conscious of the fact that you are streaming to this place along with other people. And not just from your own ethnic background each. In Israel, when they walked, they were almost entirely all ethnic Israelites with some God-fearing Gentiles who had begun to worship Jehovah. But today, now in this church, as you drive from Oakville, from Mississauga, from Port Credit, from Aurora, from Newmarket, from Scarborough, from North York, from Willowdale, you will be remembering and imagining the fact that not only from all these geographical places, but there will be streaming into this building Chinese and Cambodians and Indonesians and Dutch and Indians, and Sri Lankans, Britishers, Colombians, Filipinos, and it will bring you joy. Because you will realize that I am connected to something so much bigger than just me, or my family, or even my ethnic background. I remember a few years ago, Standing in front of a photograph, Pastor Downey had it and he gave it to me when he left from his office. Somebody had taken him up in a plane, I think, once, and they had taken an aerial shot of Rexdale Lines Church. And being aerial, it had perspective to it. We could see the whole ravine, uh, the parsonage, uh, Fordwich, a little bit of the TCI school, some of the houses on that side over there. It was fall, it was just beautiful. But as I was thinking about that, I was suddenly overwhelmed by this thought that brought tears to my eyes. I thought, Lord, so many people walk by this building, they haven't a clue that there are tentacles reaching from this building all over the world. And I began thinking of all of our missionaries, you know, from Turkey to China to Indonesia to Africa to South America to Russia. And I said, wow. That's also part of what God is going to do in your lives this year. You will not only thrill at the geographical site, 
at the multinational, multi-ethnic tribes that are going to be coming here to worship with you, you will also thrill at the fact that you are connected with something globally as a result of what God is doing in this church. When Claire Bradley comes to the beginning of our missions conference on the 15th, when our international workers come back and forth as they do during the summer months, Scott and Laura Lee come back uh, finishing their term in Malawi, you are going to thrill to each one of those. When Pastor Sam gives you his reports about our evangelism ministries, when Rupin comes and begins to talk about his Tandridge Connections ministries, your hearts are going to be filled with joy because each one of those is going to connect you and remind you, there the tribes of Israel go. And you will have joy. And in spite of the personal difficult circumstances that you may in, your hearts are going to soar. You will get perspective once again that you are part of a global community of redeemed, commanded and blessed people. And you will go back again to infuse meaning into those normal daily routines of your life. This is what God is going to do. This is not what you have to do. This is what God is going to do. And I want you to anticipate that and respond to it when he does it. And then in verse 5 he says, There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Now, who's excited about going to a courtroom to hear thrones? Yeah, you might be if you're the family of Nicole Simpson Brown and you want justice when O.J. Simpson is pulled up before the courts. You might be, if you have one, if a few, you won't be here, but maybe some people have lurid interest in all these horribly gruesome trials. They want to show up in the courtroom, but most of us don't want to go anywhere near a courtroom. So why is this man so excited about the thrones of judgment standing there? Well, of course, when, Dave, when he's thinking about the thrones of judgment, he's thinking about the Davidic king. And Israel, Israel's kings were required to read the whole law of the Lord, especially Deuteronomy. And they were required to judge according to that law impartially. Israel's kings were to rule in justice and righteousness, and David ruled in justice and righteousness, and the entire nation was healthy. For, for the biblical Jewish mind, there was really no difference between the king's rule and the rule of God's law. And proper, it also underlined the fact that properly understood, the declaration of the rule of God's law, which was all the king was supposed to pronounce, properly understood was not something that would cramp our lives, but was a source and a, and a cause for joy and gladness because it was for our health and for our well-being. We too, as I said, are a commanded people. We have no earthly kings anymore. Jesus is the king. According to the announcement given by angel Gabriel to Mary, Jesus sits and reigns on the throne of David forever and ever. And he is the Lord of the church. And he issues edicts. His law and you. This is another thing God is going to do for you this year. He's going to fill you with anticipation and joy. Not just for all the things we've already talked about, but because you will rejoice in the fact that you are going to hear the decrees of God that will come. That as a commanded people, you are a blessed people. That blessing comes from the ordering work of God's word in our lives. And rather than resist the word of God, you will come rejoicing to hear the word of God. And may I say one more thing? That is true no matter who is preaching. Periodically, I, I'll get a telephone call either personally or indirectly. Somebody's asking, well, is Pastor Krishnan preaching on this weekend? <laughs> it was funny, you know, I already had the sermon prepared. And yesterday the phone rang at 3 o'clock. And I went and picked it up and just said, I'm a visitor to this church. Who's preaching tonight? <laughs> I said, I'm preaching. I said, but listen, I need to tell you something. I'm going to be referring to this in the message. <laughs> but it isn't because you called me. Either I'm going to laugh when you share that. And you know what? I understand the gracious sentiments behind those questions. I also understand perfectly the desire to receive gifted ministry. If you end up in a hospital, you don't want me visiting you, you want my wife visiting you, right? 
He's far more gifted than I am. So hopefully, when somebody gets up to preach, you want somebody who's gifted. So I understand that. I understand that. But Psalm 122 is saying something else. It is saying, the thrones of judgment stand there no matter who gets up. And you know, this is a particularly good year for you to be reminded of that. Because if you read my pastor's pen a month ago, you know that from March to August, you don't have to call to find out whether I'm preaching. I won't be. I'm on sabbatical. But Psalm 122 says, doesn't matter if he's not there, God's there. God's people are there. The thrones of judgment are there. And you can rejoice. And I came across in another book that I was reading that captures my heart so clearly. When John Piper went on his sabbatical in the last Sunday, this is what he said. He said, would it not be just like God to choose a time when the big shot preacher is away to bring the greatest awakening, the greatest ingathering of souls, the greatest giving, the greatest sending, the greatest season of signs and wonders, the greatest worship and the greatest impact on the world. And I said, yes, Lord, amen. And I added one more thing. Every year, you know, on this Sunday after solemn assembly, I plead with you. Hundreds of you come for prayer meetings every night. And then as soon as the February concerts of prayer start, we dwindle back down to 50 or 60. This year, I'm not pleading with you. I'm just going to tell you it's going to happen because the big shot preacher is away. It would be just like God to do this. You know why? Because he said, I will share my glory with no one. Praise God. You should be jumping up in your seats and clapping for joy that God is not interested in sharing his glory with puny little preachers. But anybody, and anybody who dares to magnify his holy name. So you be here. But this is what God's going to do for you. You're going to be saying to one another, doesn't matter that he isn't there. God is there. Let's go. I'm going. Are you coming with me? And they're going to say, yes, I'm coming with you. And you're going to be delighting in the thrones of judgment that stand here in this place. Now, so seized was the psalmist by these thoughts that he breaks out into a resolve. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. These happen to be both word, word plays on Jerusalem, which is missed in English, but it's obvious in Hebrew. In the Hebrew language, I may not pronounce it properly, but Jerusalem sounds more like Yerushalem. And Shalom is the word for peace, and Shalva is the word for security. And so he just... He makes a play on the word Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And shalom, shalom is an untranslatable word in terms of his kind. It's really not just peace as the absence of conflict. It is more like health. You are healthy in your body when every part of your body connects with every other part of your body the way it is supposed to and is working properly. That's a lot closer to the idea of shalom. Shalom has to do with integrity, wholeness when everything is properly connected. And so he says, I want to pray for Jerusalem. This closely compacted city that itself is a metaphor for what worship does to integrate my life. I want to pray that you will remain whole. No internal conflicts. And I want to remain that you will remain whole under external attacks. So I pray for your security. Why? And he says, oh, by the way, and I'm going to seek your prosperity. Seeking the prosperity means that you will work for the good of that city. I'm going to pray for peace. I'm going to pray for security. And I'm going to bless Jerusalem with security and peace. And I'm going to work for her prosperity. Why? Because if the city prospers, the temple prospers. If the temple prospers, the whole nation prospers. That's why he says, for the sake of my brothers, for the sake of my friends, and for the sake of the house of the Lord. And this is something else that God is going to do in your lives. Because of all these other things that are going to happen. 
Because of this mutual, overflowing, glad encouragement to come and begin the journey every Sunday to the house of the Lord. Because of the people from various tribes and nations and languages that are going to flow there. Because of the global impact and the local impact outside the walls of this church that will happen because of worship. Because the thrones of judgment are going to fill you with glory. Because through all of this you are going to recover your identity as the blessed, redeemed and commanded people. Because all this is so important. You will be making this result. So precious is this weekly gathering to worship Jesus. So precious the thorns of judgment that connect me with something so much larger than me. That lift me above my meager and difficult existence. That I do not want it fractured by conflict from without or within. And since only God can do this. I will pray for peace and security for my church. And I will bless my church with peace and security. I will seek her prosperity. And I will do this for the sake of my brothers and friends. Brothers is a word in the Hebrew language that speaks of close family connections. Friends is not that intimate. And the house of the Lord is even less intimate. We can't be equally intimate with everybody, but we are connected. And therefore the health of the whole is crucial for the health of me and my family. So can we read this resolve together? Not, remember, not as something that you are going to do or something that you should do. This is what God is going to do in you because of what is going to happen in this place during this year. So read, let's read this together. So precious is this weekly gathering to worship Jesus. So precious the thrones of judgment that connect me with something so much larger than me that lift me above my meager and difficult existence that I do not want it fractured by conflict from without or within. And since only God can do this, I will pray for the peace and security for my church and I will bless my church with peace and security. I will seek her prosperity and I will do this for the sake of my brothers and my friends. So this is where your heart is going to go this year because this is where your treasure has gone. This is Psalm 122 in the New, New, um, New Living Translation. Just listen as I read it. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now we are, here we are, standing inside your gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you in Jerusalem. Rejoice in what God is going to do for us in this year. In Psalm 27, David has a beautiful phrase in there. He says, when my heart says to you, seek your face, your face, O Lord, I will seek. And many, many years ago, Dr. Toza commenting on that said, it is the habit of spiritual receptivity. He said, cultivate a lifelong habit of spiritual receptivity. That is my blessing for you. Because this is what God is going to do in your heart this year that we've talked about. I just want to bless you with that spiritual receptivity. So when he begins moving, you will say, my heart says to you, O Lord, your face I will seek. That is God's blessing for you.